This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Be Careful What You Ask For. And that comes from 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 22. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills, tower rental fees, maintenance, and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to this listening area. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Also, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. And also, you can catch us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER, Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today, we pick back up in the first book of Samuel, and we're going to see a transition in this book. It's the last chapter that really has to do with Samuel. You know, Samuel didn't actually die until chapter 25, and he still has an important role to play in the chapters ahead. But after chapter 8, the focus changes from Samuel to Saul, and then eventually it goes to King David. And so chapter 8 really is a transitional chapter, like I said. It is in this chapter that we see the transition from Samuel to Saul, from judgeship to kingship. We see Israel move from a theocracy to a monarchy. We see the kingship of God move to the kingship of man. And it's in this chapter that we learn some very important principles about prayer and about praying according to God's will. I think about a TV show I used to watch when I was growing up. It was called Fantasy Island. If you ever watched that show, you saw Mr. Rourke. He always had on a white suit. He was very calm. His demeanor was very nice. Uh, then he had his sidekick, Tattoo. You know, it was a very short guy that would run up, ring the bell, tower, and shout, The plane! The plane! Anyhow, just before the characters got off the plane, he would get everyone to assemble together, and he would say, Smile as everyone. And then as they got off the plane, he would give this cryptic message to Tattoo. He would tell about their fantasy and what they expected. But each and every one of them seemed to have this undertone that this was not going to turn out just as they expected. And then finally, after everybody was off the plane, they would make a toast and the show would go on and you would see it play out. People would have a fantasy they paid for. But there was other sides to it. It wasn't always what they thought they wanted. You could say they needed to be careful what they asked for. Even though Fantasy Island was a secular show, there was stuff that we could learn from that show. And today I'd ask you, how careful are you when you pray to God? Do you think about what you say before you say it? 
Do you consider the request carefully before you bring it to God? Or do you approach God carelessly without much consideration or forethought? You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. There's a balance we need to have. We need to go before God. He delights when we talk to him, when we spend time with him. And so Ecclesiastes is not telling us not to pray. What it's telling us is to remind ourselves that God is our Heavenly Father. And we need to consider how we approach Him in prayer and what we ask for. So hopefully today, after we walk away from our lesson, we will understand and learn from the lesson that the Israelites learned from. We will learn several points that I want to point out to you. We need to consider God's will in the matter. We need to consider the consequences. And we need to consider our own heart. So with that, let's jump right in. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we'll start with verse 1. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then the, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your way. Now appoint to us a king to judge us like the other nations. What we see in these first couple of verses is that we should be different from those around us. We should be different from the world around us. We saw that Samuel grew old, that he was getting old, and so he appointed his sons to take his place when he was gone. But unfortunately, Samuel's son weren't much better than Eli's sons that we studied just previous chapters. They were dishonest, they were greedy, and they accepted bribes and they perverted justice. Basically, everything you don't want in a judge, they did. And so the nation of Israel is not happy with the way things are going. So the elders get together, they pay a visit to Samuel, and they confront him about his age and his son's behavior and how he's given them leadership now, and they don't like it. And they say, appoint us a king that will lead us just as the other nations have. The problem we have is Samuel is one of the godliest men in the entire Bible, but yet he's gotten old. He has lived a life different from the nation of Israel, but it sounds like his two boys didn't. It shows us that when you raise your children, you can raise them in the admonition of the Lord. You can raise them in the rule of the Bible and you can teach them the commandments of the Bible. But they have a free will and we see that his sons did not walk in his ways. One of the things I'd like for you to see is that Samuel may have sinned by not reaching out to God and asking for who to appoint to be the judge of the nation of Israel now that he's moving on. Instead, because of them being too close for him not being objectively, he appoints his son. He excuses their sin, puts them in leadership where he probably didn't do that for others. And we also see now that the elders come together. They don't like the appointment. They don't like the way the boys are leading. And so they come to Samuel and they say, make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Now, while it was wise for these men to come to Samuel and say, hey, whoa, hold on a second, your kids, your sons are unfit to lead us, and it wasn't even wrong for them to want a king, per se, because God knew one day that Israel would have a king. 
400 years before this, God gave instruction to Israel about their future king. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. The reason this is a sin and because it's wrong, because they wanted to be like all nations. See, we get into trouble when we try to be like the world. The Bible tells us time and time again that we shouldn't conform to the world, but we should be transformed from the world. Well, let's look how Samuel responds to their request. Look with me at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done before, from the day I brought them out of the Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And we'll stop right there. So the second thing I want you to see is that rejecting God's will is the same as rejecting God himself. Samuel wasn't happy about Israel's request for a king. He took it personally. But God told him, it's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. It's not God's will for Israel to have a king at this time. By rejecting God's will, Israel was not rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God himself. God was their real king. And they were asking for a substitute. They were, in fact, breaking the first commandment, which says, you shall have no other God before me. As I pointed out in Deuteronomy 17, that it wasn't wrong to ask for a king, but Israel's motivation and timing was wrong. They were asking for the wrong kind of king. They were asking at the wrong time. They weren't asking in God's time. They were asking in their time. They wanted a king now. They weren't willing to wait for God's timing for this matter. If they had been patient and waited, God would have given them a different kind of king at that time. Instead, they wanted a king like all the other nations, and he was going to give them a king, but he was going to give them a different king. He was going to give them King David. We'll study that later. A king after his own heart, but ultimately they wanted it now, and so therefore they got a different king than King David. You know, one of the principles we should learn from this is that saying now to God can be just as wrong as saying no to God. Part of accepting God's will is accepting his timing, waiting for God's best interest, waiting what God has in store for us instead of settling for something less that we want. And then I also want you to understand this, that they weren't asking for God's help. They were telling God how to help. Israel had a problem. Samuel was old and his sons were not following his ways. And instead of just bringing their problem to God and asking him to help, Israel came up with their own solution. They come up with their own plan. They were doing it in their own strength. And they demanded that God do things their way. But don't we do the same thing? How many times have you told God how to solve your problem? How many times have you told God how to do his job? So when you pray to God, you need to first remember that God's will is the most important thing in this whole matter. Remember that you are called to be different from the world around you. And remember that when you reject God's will, it's the same as rejecting God himself. And so now let's look at the consequences of that action. Look at verses 10 through 17 with me. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, 
These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to help reap his harvest and make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and from your vineyards and give it to the officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer for you in that day. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but a simple keeps going and suffers for it. A wise man looks ahead and he considers the consequences. That's what Proverbs is saying right there. There are two questions we should ask ourselves when we bring a request before God. First of all, what happens if God says yes? And then what happens if God says no later? Samuel was warning Israel over and over that this king was going to be a taker. He was going to take their sons. He was going to take their daughters. He's going to take the best of their fields and their produce. He's going to take a tenth of their grains and their vineyards. He's going to take the servants and the best of their cattle. He's going to take a tenth of their flocks. Six times in the seven verses, Samuel says, this king will be a taker. He will take from you the people. In other words, Samuel is helping Israel to consider the consequences of their request that they had given God. As much as they wanted a king, there would be some serious consequences if God said yes. In the same way, though, we need to think through our request more carefully. For example, have you ever asked God to help you to win the lottery? Have you ever considered what the consequences might be if God said yes? You know, Proverbs gives us an answer. Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Many lottery winners have found that their winnings turned out to be more of a curse than a blessing. Just like Fantasy Island, the folks that got what they asked for at the end found out there was a little bit of a curse to it. There was a side of it they didn't understand. There were consequences that came with the fantasy. What good is it if you gain a million dollars and you lose your family or your friends over that? How about our relationships? Perhaps you're attracted to someone and you're asking God, please let it work out. Well, what if God says yes and it turns out not to be a good relationship? What if it winds up in divorce? What if God allows that to happen and progress in your life and yet you wind up in divorce? Because you were distracted and you went after your own way, you may miss out on a better relationship that God had in mind for you. We need to be careful what we ask. We need to be careful and consider the consequences and all the consequences. The problem is we only consider the short-term consequences. We look at it and say, well, short-term, this will be good. We don't look at the long-term effect. And God wants us to think about the long-term as well. This takes wisdom. This takes us reading the Bible. It takes time to pray and seek counsel from others and listen to what God sends to us and the word that he gives us. Too often we skip over all those steps. We consider the short-term consequences and we say, well, if God wants it, then he'll let it happen. 
And sometimes God lets things happen to teach us a lesson. And then part of that lesson sometimes is that God will say no later. And we see this at the very end of verse 18, when the day comes and you cry out for relief for the king that you have chosen, the Lord will not answer you in that day. See, the Israelites wanted a king because they were tired of crying out for relief from their enemies. Samuel tells them, in the future, instead of crying out for relief from your enemies, you're going to cry out for relief from the king that you're asking for. If you ask God to let trouble into your life and he allows it, what will he do if you ask him to get you out of that trouble later? Now, God sometimes, in his grace and his mercy, will go ahead and get us out of that trouble. But sometimes God lets us learn the hard lesson. He lets us suffer the consequences of that decision. And some of those consequences can't be reversed. Sometimes you get into a situation that was not God's will for you at all. But now you're there. The decision can't be changed. And so God's will for you now is to love and serve him in that new situation, in that new thorn in your flesh that you may have. What this all boils down to is we need to be careful on what we ask. Consider God's will in the matter. Consider the consequences, not only just short-term, but long-term. Take time to understand the request and listen to what God has to say. There's a phrase that's used a lot, that the grass is greener on the other side. And sometimes we go to God because we see that lush greenness in a pasture on the other side of the fence. And we ask to be over in that pasture, and God allows us because we're putting that, believe it or not, before him. Sometimes it's greener because we're walking from the flesh, and sometimes it's because Satan knows our weakness and he uses that to tempt us. I bet everyone here would agree that we are tempted on a regular basis. God allows that temptation in our life so that we will learn to be stronger, have a stronger relation with him. God knew what was going to happen. But yet he allowed Israel to have that king. And I think he did that for several reasons. He wanted the nation of Israel to understand that he was ultimately king. He was the king over them and he brought up the judges. And so he let them have their way. He let them have their idol, which is a king, so they would be like the world. You know, we do that as well. We do it. It may be an addiction and Sometimes that addiction could be drugs, it could be booze, it could be sex, it could be porn. But you know what? It could also be our work. It could be greed. It could be lust. It could be envy. It could be laziness. Our jobs, our hobbies, all those can be addictions. Those can be a king. Those can be an idol in our life. And when we put it before God, it's wrong. You know, it's easy to see where drugs and alcohol are bad for our lives. But there's really no difference between drugs and anger. There's really no difference between lust and laziness. There's really no difference between sex addiction and a workaholic. All of these things can ruin our lives. They can tear our families apart. They can take away our money, our health, our sanity. Samuel told the nation of Israel how this king was going to take and take and take. Roughly, they were going to be a slave to this king. Today, what is a king in your life that you're a slave to? And what is it taking from you? What is it costing you? What I can tell you today is God wants to be your king. He's not ready to play second fiddle, just like he wasn't for the nation of Israel. 
But that doesn't mean that God will not allow you to make that choice. As long as you allow something else to be king in your life besides God, as long as you allow there to be something ahead of God and you pull him down the ringer, there's going to be trouble in your life. There's going to be issues that are going to come up. And when you cry out and you're feeling the consequences of that decision, sometimes those consequences won't be reversed. Sometimes they can't be reversed. The Bible does tell us that God works all things for the good of those called according to his purpose. God can make the situations and the consequences good, but it doesn't mean they're going to go away. And then the last thing I want you to see is we need to check our heart. Look at verses 19 through 22 with me. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Wow, do you see the stubbornness in their heart? Do you see their heart and how hard it is towards this decision? Their stubbornness is going to get them into trouble. I want you to understand verses 10 through 17, God didn't immediately grant their request. He had Samuel to talk with them about the consequences that they were asking for. He showed them all the downside of having a king, all the negative that was going to come with having a king, how he would take, 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 how there would be things taken from them, how they would be slaves. You would think after hearing all that, Israel would back off and they would go, well, you know, we really didn't think about that. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. Even after Samuel told them the negative consequences, Israel still demanded a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king to lead them into battle. God had gone before them before in those battles. He fought their battles. Now they want a king to fight their battles. You talk about stubbornness, the stubbornness of their heart. The people refuse to listen to Samuel. And how often do we do the same thing? We refuse to listen to God. God comes back and tells us no, or maybe he tells us not now. I have something better for you later. And what do we do? We say, no, I want this. And out of our selfishness, out of our stubbornness, out of the wrong heart that we have, we get ourselves in trouble. And we see that in verse 21 and 22 when Samuel went back to the Lord and told him what they said. The Lord says, listen to them. Give them what they asked for then. Even when we're stubborn, God mercifully and lovingly disciplines us. Now, sometimes that discipline is more than we thought it would be, but he does it to help us grow. Hebrews teaches us this. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Go back to Deuteronomy 8, 5. It says, So know in your heart that just as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 11, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, and do not loathe his rebuke. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and as does a father the son in whom he delights. Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Hebrews, all of those teach us that God disciplines those that he loves. 
He disciplines his children and we are his children. And what we see right here in verse 20 and 21 is that God disciplines them by allowing them to have what they ask for, to grant their wrongful request. What I want you to understand, just because God says yes, it's not always a sign of his favor. And because of that, you need to be careful what we ask God for. We need to be careful that we are praying God's will, not our will, but God's will. I'm running out of time, so I'll wrap it up with these final few thoughts. You know, today, this chapter really is about what not to do when we pray to God, which should then beg the question of what should we do when we pray to God? Well, first, we need to be humble before the Lord. When we go to God in prayer, we need to praise him first. We need to exalt him. We need to acknowledge his majesty and his greatness. And we need to do it from our heart, not just because that's what we were raised to do, but we need to understand who God is and truly worship him and praise him uh, because of who he is. And then second, we saw this last week, we need to confess our sins and we need to confess our weakness before him. And then we need to seek God's will first. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. In 1 John 5, it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. One of the reasons why I think a lot of prayers aren't answered is what James 4, 3 tells us that when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Too many times we go to God as a cosmic ATM machine and we want to take, take, take from God. But we need to be like Jesus and we need to say, God, is this your will? Not my will be done, but your will. And if we will do that, God will speak to us and he will guide us. If we will trust God for the answer, he will give it to us. Now, it may not be the answer that we want. It may not be the answer we expected, But if we trust God and know that he loves us, then he's only going to give us what's best for us. So why don't we humble ourselves today? Why don't we seek God's will first and trust that God will give us the answer that we need? Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that those that are listening, that they would understand that sometimes Your yes isn't what's best for us. You're just allowing us to have our selfish ways so that we can learn from it. And Lord, you can make good out of that, right? It makes us closer with you. We wake up sometimes from the consequences that come from our selfish acts. But Lord, right now, I pray that we would always understand that we need to ask for your will. Lord, we need to pray your will. We need to confess our sins and we need to seek after you. And that when we reject your will and we will only go after what we want, then we're rejecting you. Lord, let us trust you. Let us understand that you have a plan for us. You planned that way before we were ever born. And that plan is to prosper us and not to harm us. Your plan is to give us a hope and a future. Lord, that your blueprint that you have for our life, Lord, that we will walk and follow it. And Lord, for those that aren't following after your blueprint today, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will knock on their heart right now. Lord, I ask that you would just speak to them right now, Lord, and that they would turn it back over to you. Lord, that they would turn from whatever way they're headed and they would get back on the path that you had for them. Lord, help them have the assurance that you have a good plan for their life. 
that even through the mistakes and the blunders of life, that you can make whatever it is right. Lord, I pray that you will use whatever this is to help them have a closer walk with you, to get into your word more, to have a two-way communication that they have with you on a more regular basis, to open their heart and break down the walls so that your plan is burnt deep inside of them and that they are guided by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, maybe there's one listening today that doesn't understand any of this. Lord, I pray today that you're knocking on their heart. Lord, that you're telling them, I want you to come to me. I want you to come follow me. And Lord, that they would understand that call. Lord, that they would do what your word tells us, that if we will confess with our mouth and we'll believe on our heart, that you will save us. Lord, I pray today that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.